And a very good day to you. This is Pastor Mark Whelan with Touch of God. And this week we're going to be talking about trusting in God the Father, trusting in the Lord, being able to trust in the Lord and not be cautious about the Lord, but have a reverential fear and a love for Him and His Son and His Spirit, His Holy Spirit. So we are going to be talking today about the love of the Father, His Son Jesus and His Holy Spirit for you, and how we can be comfortable in approaching the Lord with a reverential and humble disposition, no matter what the circumstance is, no matter what we've done, no matter what we haven't done. Whatever our circumstances around us, we can be confident in approaching the Lord and not just for a one-time event, approaching Him and staying with Him in a relationship for the rest of our eternal lives. Amen. And so, in order to trust in the Lord, we must understand His nature. We must understand that He is not out to get us or to punish us. He does chastise those who He loves, but He loves you. And that's why sometimes He has to correct us. What good parent would not want to correct his children for fear that they are led even more astray without that correction? So let's have a look today at 1 John chapter 3, and this is in the Amplified Classic Edition. So 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, See what an incredible quality of love the Father has given, shown and bestowed on us, that we should be permitted to be named and called and counted the children of God. And so we are. The reason that the world does not know, recognize, acknowledge us is that it does not know, recognize, acknowledge Him. Verse 2, Beloved, we are, even here and now, God's children. It is not yet disclosed, made clear, what we shall be hereafter. But we know that when He comes and is manifested, we shall, as God's children, resemble and be like Him, for we shall see Him just as He really is. So now, you may be rejected by some people, you may be persecuted by some people. These are the same people that don't know the Lord. They don't know Him. They are of a different nature, and we'll get into that just a little bit later. But try not to take those situations personally, even though you may well have a tender heart and you want to love them, know that they do not know what they do. Well, sometimes they are spiteful and they know full well that they are working for the enemy, but love them anyway, because they will not be set free without the love of God and the truth of Jesus, the truth that is the word made flesh, Christ Jesus himself. Let's go to verse 3. And everyone who has this hope resting on him cleanses, purifies himself, just as he is pure, chaste, undefiled, and guiltless. So, as we have our hope in the Lord, we are able to be cleansed because we are part of God. God is living within us, and we are living within him. When we confess our sins to the Lord, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we look at verse 4, 
It says, everyone who commits and practices sin is guilty of lawlessness, for that is what sin is, lawlessness, the breaking, violating of God's law by transgression or neglect, being unrestrained and unregulated by his commands and his will. Verse 5, you know that he appeared in visible form and became man to take away upon himself sins, and in him there is no sin, essentially and forever. Verse 6, no one who abides in him, who lives and remains in communion with and in obedience to him, deliberately, knowingly, and habitually, commits practices sin. No one who habitually sins has either seen or known him, recognized, perceived, or understood him, or has had an experiential acquaintance with him. Now, this verse is what you might call a litmus test or a barometer or a test. We are supposed to check ourselves, according to the Bible, to see if we are going about and being in right standing with the Lord. We need to check ourselves with the help of the Holy Spirit revealing sin to us in our lives. And sometimes it's no full sin. We are knowingly doing a sin or committing a sin. And sometimes we might start to perhaps, let's just say, eat a little more than we should. Eat more than necessary. We're not hungry for all this food, but we feel like we need to eat it because it's comfort to us. Well, that might just occur gradually over time, and all of a sudden one day you realize that you've been eating far more than you should have done, and the Holy Spirit can help reveal those things that are not always as obvious to us. So in verse 6, if we want to find out if we are abiding in Him, if we want to find out if we have had an experiential acquaintance with the Lord, if we want to find out or if we want to have an experiential acquaintance with the Lord, then we we must rein in and we must master any habitual sin, indeed any sin whatsoever. Only the grace of God is sufficient to allow us the ability to continue to stay clear of sin and to say no to it and to turn to the Lord And Corinthians says that the the Lord makes a way of escape whenever we are tempted. So it does not need to ever become sin if we stop it at the temptation and do not take it further as a desire in our heart. We do not want that desire to birth into sin. And we do that by immediately turning the other way, turning the other cheek, saying no to it, and straight away focusing on the Lord and say, Jesus, please help me. Please allow me the way of escape in this temptation. I do not want to commit sin. I do not want this to be birthed into sin in the desire of my heart. So we want to be able to have the Lord help us, and he is always ready and waiting to help us with open arms when we call upon his name, not just for salvation, but for everyday survival in this fallen world. So verse 6 says, No one who abides in him, who lives and remains in communion with and in obedience to him, deliberately, knowingly, and habitually commits and practices sin. So we spoke about knowingly and unknowingly. We spoke about those things. And obviously, knowingly would obviously coincide with the word deliberately as well. So we need to realize that if we are in sin, then we must question whether we are truly abiding in him and remaining in communion with him. Because according to this verse, it is not possible to do both. 
The verse continues, No one who habitually sins has either seen or known him, recognized, perceived, or understood him, or has had an experiential acquaintance with him. Now, this means that if we are habitually sinning, we still have some ground to cover with regards to knowing the Lord and getting to know him and getting to know his nature and his love for us. So if we are fearful of the Lord because we are doing wrong, all we have to do is repent and seek the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry, please forgive me of my sins, my habitual sins or sin, and cleanse me of all unrighteousness, Lord, as your word says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Because God's desire is for us to seek him and have a relationship with him. And so he wants to strip away anything that would prevent us of being able to do that, of being able to have a relationship with him. God wants us in union with him. He doesn't want us to be in union with the devil or in the world or other idols. We are to be in communion with the Father by way of the Son and teaching of the Holy Spirit, guidance of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way to get back to God. Verse 5, you know that he appeared, he, Jesus, appeared in visible form and became man to take away upon himself sins. And in him there is no sin, essentially and forever. Verse 6, no one who abides in him, who lives and remains in communion with and in obedience to him, deliberately, knowingly, and habitually commits practices sin. No one who habitually sins has either seen or known him, recognized, perceived, or understood him, or has had an experiential acquaintance with him. Verse 7, let's move on. Boys, lads, let no one deceive and lead you astray. He who practices righteousness who is upright, conforming to the divine will in purpose, thought, and action, living a consistently conscientious life, is righteous even as he is righteous. He, the Lord, is righteous. Verse 8, But he who commits sin, who practices evil doing, is of the devil, takes his character from the evil one, for the devil has sinned, violated the divine law from the beginning. The reason the Son of God was made manifest, visible, was to undo, destroy, loosen, and dissolve the works of the devil has done. And that's 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, and we'll be coming back to that in just a moment. So God's unconditional love for you left him really no option but to send his only begotten Son, Jesus, to the earth, in order to fulfill this last verse that we read out, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. Now, I do not believe for one moment that God was on the fence. God was undecided for a long time about whether he would send his only son to rescue us, to allow a way back by knowing the truth and receiving life. That's the life of Christ. I believe that God has so much love for his creation, you and I, that it was an instant obvious decision And there was no real choice for him. He had to do it because he loved you so much. So his his unconditional love caused him to send his son for you. Now, God's love is so strong that he gave his son, knowing the pain and suffering that his son Jesus would have to go through, knowing that he would see his only son at the whipping post and, of course, the cross, enduring such excruciating suffering because you are worth it, 
and his love is intense for you. Not to mention, of course, Jesus going through all the persecution, all the rejection, but we obviously know of the physical pain that he endured. And you know, the the other pain that Jesus endures even to this day is not necessarily a physical one, of course, because now he is in his new body, but he looks upon the world and he sees the suffering and he knows the suffering. He senses the suffering and he wants it to stop and he can stop it when he works through us. And we'll look at that in just a moment. Now, God's love is for restoring what was shattered. When Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the tree in the garden, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, we, the human race, all fell, and the world became fractured as a result. We were told by the Lord that we would surely die, and we ate of that fruit. Now, you might say, well, no, I didn't. Adam and Eve ate of the fruit. I didn't. Well, if you look at Romans chapter 5, you find out that through one man's sin, we all sinned. And through one man's suffering and sacrifice, we were all given the choice and the ability to choose eternal life instead of eternal spiritual death. So sin and sickness started to enter the world as soon as Adam and Eve, we, ate of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden. Man began to have a shorter lifespan. He didn't last as long in years. And we can look at that in Genesis, the book of Genesis. You can see the number of years that people started to have a shorter lifespan. We lost our dominion that God gave us in Genesis chapter 1. And the devil took over because Adam and Eve gave it over to the devil when they agreed with the devil to eat of the fruit of that tree instead of agreeing with God. And God warned us not to touch of that tree, and we did. So sin and death were reigning until our Messiah came to build the spiritual bridge back to God the Father, back to the kingdom of God. So the Father's heart is about reconciling souls back to him, spirit, soul, and body, not just souls, but spirit and body as well. His heart is about healing yours. His heart is about providing all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus, but his heart is to have that right relationship with you that never should have been broken in the Garden of Eden. You might agree that the Lord has done for us when we have never deserved anything except the spiritual death that Adam and Eve were surely warned about. The heart of the Father and the actions of his Son in carrying out his Father's will results in the opportunity for us to choose the way, Jesus, in order to understand the truth of his word and to receive his life so that we may not endure an eternal death. Our union with the Lord and how close we allow ourselves to get with God is totally up to us. We are not forced to have a relationship with the Lord. It is a free will choice that God does not violate our free will. We are up to making our own decisions every single day God just hopes that we will choose him instead of continuing the way we have been. James chapter 4, come close to God and he will come close to you. Recognize that you are sinners. Get your soiled hands clean. Realize that you have been disloyal, wavering individuals with divided interests and purify your hearts of your spiritual adultery. This is the Amplified Classic Edition version of James chapter 4. 
Verse 9, as you draw near to God, be deeply penitent and grieve, even weep over your disloyalty. Let your laughter be turned to grief and your mirth to dejection and heartfelt shame for your sins. Humble yourselves, verse 10, feeling very insignificant in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. He will lift you up and make your lives significant. So there in verse 10 is one example out of so many in the word of God, a conditional situation where if you do this, then this will happen to your life. So if you humble yourselves in verse 10, feeling very insignificant in the presence of the Lord, he will exalt you. He will lift you up and make your lives significant. So if you don't humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, he is unable to exalt you. And he's unable to make your lives significant. So if you feel like you have an insignificant life today, if you feel like everything is upon you and you're having a lot of trouble getting through every hour of every day, just humble yourselves before the Lord. Know that he has your best interests in the core of his heart. He loves you more than anything. And the only one who can draw closer to God is you yourself. He's not a million miles away. He is right there in front of you. All you have to do is look at him instead of looking the other way and letting him always see the back of your head. He wants to open his heart to you. He wants you to open your heart to him. Have this relationship that God so preciously paid for, the Father paid so preciously by sending his Son, his only begotten Son, Jesus, to the cross, but so much also before the cross as well that we should never forget. The suffering that Jesus endured, that he did not deserve, he knew no sin, he was no sin, but he became sin so that we would be forgiven of our sins and we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So when you are trying to trust in the Lord and you think about trusting in God the Father and you might have misconceptions or or misgivings because of some situations maybe you had with your own father, know that you must not compare your heavenly father with your earthly one because your earthly one fell when we all fell at the tree. And it is only a father biological father, a earthly father who gives himself to the Lord, will have the Lord's love within him. But that still doesn't make him God the Father. So we must not judge God the Father's character by an earthly father's behavior, even if they are born again. We must look to the heavens. We must look to our heavenly father as he himself is a true father. He exemplifies what a father should be towards his children in parenting and guidance and love and relationship. We must not judge God based on the actions of other humans. We must give God the benefit of any doubt we have in our mind and give God time to show you his word and understand when you read his word how good God is, how forgiving God is. He is long-suffering. He is loving. He is patient. He's all the fruits of the Spirit for he is spirit. So we must never blame God for things going on around us, especially because we do not understand. If we blame God for everything, we do not know him. If we blame God for things or say, God, why did you allow for this? We don't know him. We don't know his character. We should not pretend or tell people that we know him at all. We should get in the word, pray to the Lord, and spend time with the Lord 
and you will understand his nature and his character, and never again will you have the tendency to blame God for anything. So when things go wrong around us, sometimes some of us will wonder why God allowed the wrong to happen. Well, who gave us the idea that God allows anything negative to happen? Because the Bible says that every good thing comes down from the Father of lights. So the Father through the Son created all things necessary in the beginning, according to Genesis chapter 1. God set the world in motion. He set the lights in the sky by His very Word. They do not need to be told to keep shining every day. The sun and the moon, they do not need to be told every day to stay bright. They are by themselves obeying God's word until they hear a new instruction from the Lord. Man fell by his actions at the tree. The Father sent Jesus to fix what man caused and allowed man the choice of restoring his relationship with the Father by believing in his son Jesus. Jesus said at the cross the words, It is finished. Psalm chapter 115 verse 16 says that God has given the earth to us, the human race, the children of God, to have dominion over, to subdue, to be used by God to demonstrate his kingdom on this earth, for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, to fix on earth anything that doesn't look what it would look like if it was in heaven. We are to use our free will to do this, but if we have the love of God in our hearts, then just like Jesus, we would want to do the will of our Father, which would then be our will to do. So contrary to what people say, God does not control everything. He is not in control of everything. It is easy to throw the blame on God controlling something if we cannot explain it, or if we have to give sympathy at someone's funeral, just have the tendency to blame God and say, well, God obviously took the good ones, but you're blaming God and you're misrepresenting God if you do that. And pastors are included in this blame as well if they do that. Amen. We must speak the truth because it is not right that God gets the blame for anything, especially by his own children. The truth is that God can and will always work through us to the degree that we allow him. This is because he has already paid for everything that would allow us to be restored and reconciled back to him. So there is no question or hesitation in God's heart. And it's already finished, completed from a positional perspective in heaven. Now he just wants us to believe by faith that it's true so that earth can be updated to match what heaven looks like. When we believe for someone to be raised from the dead and we have faith for it to happen, God can supernaturally raise them from the dead by our faith because out of our belly shall flow rivers of living waters that that other body needs to be restored and raised. Amen. When we believe that we shall lay hands on the sick and that the sick shall recover, then by faith we will cause the power of God to flow out of us into the sick person, whether it be right before us in our physical presence or over a distance. And that person, that sick person, will receive the life that Jesus said he is. He is the one that paid for their healing at the whipping post, according to Isaiah 53 verse 5 and 1 Peter 2.24. And so on. These are just a couple of examples. But God is limited by us. He's limited. He can only work through us when we say, I'm going to pray for this person. I'm going to do this for this person. Remember that all evil in this world is a result of souls who are lost and need Jesus. And until that happens, they're acting out of their current nature, which is the nature of their father, the devil, according to John 8, verse 44, where he says, You are of your father, the devil, 
and it is your will to practice the lusts and gratify the desires which are characteristic of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a falsehood, he speaks what is natural to him, for he is a liar himself and the father of lies and of all that is false. So if you believe God allowed something to happen, then that would mean that God is in control of everything, which means you and I don't have a free will after all, that we are robots being controlled by our creator. There is no love in this scenario because love cannot be controlled. Love is freely given when the heart's desire is to do so. True love is freely given out of the heart. The Bible says God is love, and so we are using God, the love of God, when we love on others. We are destroyed for lack of knowledge because we have rejected knowledge. If we don't know the truth, we believe the lies are the truth, and we are deceiving ourselves in every hour of our daily lives. So think about these things today when you are contemplating, talking with the Lord. Know how good He is. Know how much He wants to have a relationship with you. And if you already have one with Him, spend even more time with Him, and you will find yourself enjoying His Word more and enjoying His presence more. And I just implore you to do that, as I implore myself to do that every day in the name of Jesus. So I thank you for listening to this program this week. We can be reached on the prayer line at country code 1407-705-3151. That's country code 1407-705-3151. And also on email at touchofgodradio at gmail.com, touchofgodradio at gmail.com. Also, we're on YouTube and Facebook at Touch of God Radio. So until next week, you have a blessed week. Amen.